0: This teaching comes to you from the team at Anchor Church Sydney. We hope you're blessed by it. For more teachings, resources or info, check out our website, www.anchorchurch.com.au. Good morning, and thank you so much for joining us uh, this week for Anchor Online. My name is James, as Matt mentioned, and I'm really excited to bring us a message this morning in our series, Winning, a Guide to the Good Life, particularly on the topic of relationships. Well, something that some of you might know about me and perhaps many of you don't is that this year I'm actually turning 30, the big 3.0. I know uh, my Asian uh, genes don't make it seem that way. And I do still get ID checked uh, at the bottle shop most of the time, which you know I prefer not to. But this year I'm turning the big 30. It's a milestone. I am actually excited about it. and. Bearing in mind, I still have 11 months of being in my 20s, (laughs) but to the point. So at the moment, I'm kind of planning a trip that I'd like to do uh, towards the end of the year after my birthday with a bunch of my friends. Some of my good, close friends, friends that I've spent years uh, doing life with, making memories with. And we'd love to head up uh, the coast, maybe even to Byron Bay and just spend a week hanging out. Uh, eating, drinking, going to the beach, just having a good time. And, you know, as I've been planning this, this trip, this 30th, and thinking about it, I've actually reflected and just felt really thankful to have such amazing friends. Friends that in this stage of life, I could actually do this kind of thing with. Friends who've meant so much to me over the years, that I've made so many memories with. Uh, that we could actually go away for a week to celebrate my birthday and just have an incredible time. And you know, friends like these, relationships really are at the heart of what it means to be human. I don't think that's something that I really need to work hard to convince you of. Uh, I think we know deep down uh, that relationships are integral to our lives, whether it's friendships, whether it's uh, family relationships, relatives, parents. Uh, Whether it's romantic relationships, relationships are integral to our lives. And, you know, I think we can see this uh, in our culture as well. Uh, Take social media, for example. We have Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Snapchat, TikTok, uh, and a whole host of dating apps. And basically all of these apps, which we spend hours on every week, Uh, Operate under the premise of relationships. Operate under the premise of bringing us together. And while maybe we could debate really, you know, whether these apps on social media have achieved, you know, improving our quality of relationships, we might dispute that. Have they actually helped? You know, are they more superficial? We could dispute that. But definitely at their core, they operate under that kind of premise of it's about keeping us connected, keeping us up-to-date with each other, keeping us up-to-date with each other's lives and what we're doing. I think another way that we can see the way that relationships are integral to our lives is to look at the creative arts. You know, if you really want to know what's important, what society values, uh, just have a look at songs, have a look at movies, at TV shows. And I was having a look at the Billboard uh, Top 100 Songs of 2020, so the 100 most popular songs of the previous year, a quick scroll through those different titles and did you know that seven of the top 10 songs of 2020 are all about relationships Uh, harry styles dua lipa post malone popular artists that we know seven of the top 10 songs of 2020 about relationships now fun fact the other three were about uh gangs nightclubs and money (laughs) (laughs) as you might uh, maybe you're not too surprised to hear that but seven of the ten about relationships in some form or even closer to home thinking about uh, my own household you know we love uh, Katie and I we love to watch TV and I think Katie's three favorite TV shows that she watched the most in 2020 Gilmore Girls all about relationships mother and daughter relationship friend relationships family relationships The Bachelor Sorry, Katie, you've been exposed, but don't judge her because you're all watching it too. And thirdly, of course, uh, the favorite Friends. Gilmore Girls, The Bachelor and Friends, the three shows that my wife watched the most in 2020 and all about relationships. And so relationships are central to our lives. And so the question that I want to address this morning is, how do we win at relationships this year? Another way of putting this might be, What do we want our relationships to look like in 2021? We know some of the things that might come to mind as you think about that question, how do we win at relationships? uh, We want our relationships to be healthy. We want them to operate from a place of security. You know, we want to be, uh, we want to have relationships where we're able to be selfless, but we're also able to have boundaries. We're also able to say no, we don't want to be people pleasers. We want to have relationships where there's minimal conflict. Now don't hear me wrong, we don't want to avoid conflict uh, because you know that's actually an unhealthy thing but we would love to have relationships that are so healthy that we actually conflict doesn't arise that much. We have minimal conflict. What else? Well we want to be good friends. We want to be the kind of friends who are faithful, trustworthy, reliable, fun, you know friends we want to be the kind of friend, someone who has integrity and not only do we want to be that kind of friend, we also want to have friends like that, don't we we'd love we'd love that. And so we want to be good friends, we want to have good friends. we want to have fun, we want to grow in our friendships with our partners or our spouses. and finally, I think we also want to avoid unwise friendships and relationships, maybe the kind of relationships that our culture would would call toxic. Uh, Those are some of the things that maybe come to mind when we think about winning at relationships. And I wonder maybe for you as you think about what I want my relationships to look like in 2021, maybe a, a whole list of those things that I've just mentioned comes to mind, or maybe just a few or maybe some other things that I haven't thought of, because it is a pretty uh, broad and comprehensive topic. But I think generally we can agree that winning at relationships looks in some way like having healthy, life-giving, growing, and wise relationships. And so the question is, the question I want to address this morning is how can we actually achieve this? How can our relationships be like that? And while I'm not able to cover everything and I won't be able to focus specifically on each different type of relationship, I believe that there's a lot that we can learn today from looking at the life of Jesus. And so this morning, I want to give you two principles, two principles that we see, two principles that we can learn, two principles that we can take on from the life of Jesus. Jesus. And so let's dive right in. And the first principle is this. To win at relationships, we need to let our calling inform how we do relationships. We need to let our calling inform how we do relationships. You see, so often in relationships, we're just kind of aimless. Like we might make okay decisions or bad decisions. We're we're swayed by people and pressure, fear of man. And we don't connect our calling, our purpose to our relationships. And so we need to let our calling inform our relationships. We need to get more intentional about how we do relationships. Have a look with me at the life of Jesus. And so we're going to look at some examples from Jesus's life. And then we're gonna kind of translate that into our lives and see how how does that speak into our situation? And so firstly, turn with me to Mark chapter 1, verse 38, and we're gonna glean some things about Jesus's purpose, his calling, and how that impacted his relationships. And so first, John 1, chapter 38, it says this, Jesus replied, "'Let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages So I can preach there also. And listen to this. He says, that is why I have come. And so we get a little something about Jesus' calling here. Out of his own mouth, he's saying, let's go to nearby villages so I can preach. That is why I've come. That's why I'm here. Follow me through to the next chapter, chapter 2. Uh, In verses 16 and 17, we're going to learn a little bit more about Jesus' calling. It says, When the teachers of the law who were Pharisees saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, verse 17, Jesus said to them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. And listen to this I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. And so here we learn something else about Jesus' calling. Not only has he come to preach, but he's come to call sinners, to call sinners to the kingdom of God, to call sinners to repentance. Stay with me here. Let's turn over to now Mark chapter 3, verse 13. It says this, Jesus went up on a mountainside and called to him those he wanted, and they came to him. He appointed twelve Why? That they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and to have the authority to drive out demons. And so here, Jesus is calling his disciples, who we know as his 12 disciples, and he calls them to himself, what for? For the purpose that they will be with him and that he might send them out to preach and cast out demons. You see, Jesus knew his calling. Jesus knew why he was here on earth. And he tells us himself in these passages. He says, I'm here to preach. That's why I've come. And I've come to call sinners. And Jesus connects his calling with his relationships. You see, there's a reason why Jesus chooses exactly 12 disciples. And there's a reason why he chooses these men. He chooses them for the purpose of being with him and sending them out to preach. Because Jesus wants to involve them in his mission, in his calling. See, Jesus' identity, his calling impacted who he spent time with. Jesus made intentional decisions about his relationships based on his calling. He wasn't aimless. He didn't randomly choose his friends or just kind of go with the flow in terms of who he spent time with. No, Jesus knew what he was doing. He knew why he was here and he made specific intentional decisions about who he surrounded himself with because of that and who he spent time with because of that and how he spent time with people because of that. And now you might object at this point and you know, say, so James, well, that's all well and good. Jesus had a mission. He had a calling. He had a purpose. But I don't have a calling. I don't know what my purpose is. I don't know why I'm here. In fact, I've spent years trying to figure out, God, what is my path? You know, what, what am I called to? And, you know, sometimes I think in Christian circles, we overcomplicate things. We, we talk about calling as this kind of super spiritual, one path, one road, one job that God has for me. And we spend our lives trying to to debunk the code. You know, what's my calling? What is God, are you there? Are you speaking to me? What, what, What do you want me to do? But this morning, I want to tell you that if you are a Christian, if you're someone who follows Jesus, if you've put your faith in Him, then you have a calling to the kingdom. God has put a calling on your life. And it's not this mystery that you need a sign from heaven to reveal. It's revealed in the pages of His word. There are things that you are called to, that God has called you to and given you purpose for and to. And I want to show you what a few of those things are right now. So so jump with me to Matthew 28, and we're going to hop around to a few different passages just quickly. And I want you to, to be thinking about the fact that these are the things that God has called you to. So Matthew 28, starting in verse 18, it says this, Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. You see, this is the first thing that God has called you to if you're a follower of Jesus. You have been called into Jesus' mission to be a disciple maker. Jesus is saying to you, He said to you in His Word, Go into all of the world and make disciples and baptize them in my name and in the name of the Father and the Holy Spirit and teach them to obey everything that I have commanded you. Because Jesus, He's not just our Savior, but He's also our Lord. And you have been swept up into His mission. What an incredible purpose that gives to your life. That Jesus wants to use you to make more disciples of His. That's the first thing. But turn with me now 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 9. I want to show you the second thing that you've been called to. 2 Tim, Timothy chapter 1. Verses 9 and 10. This is Paul writing. And he says, He, God, has saved us and called us to what? Called us to a successful life in Sydney? Called us to have 10,000 followers on Instagram? Called us to a life of comfort and convenience? No, He has saved us and called us to a holy life. And not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. See, Christianity isn't just about believing the gospel and getting saved. No, it's about being transformed into the image of Jesus and pursuing and living out a holy life. That's what God has called you to. He wants you to be set apart for him. That's what holy means. It means being set apart for God. And so we no longer live in the way of the world. We no longer Give ourselves to old patterns and habits and lifestyles of sin. But no, we live lives that are distinct, that are different, that are set apart for God because He wants to use us for His purposes. So God has called you to be a disciple maker. He's called you to be holy. And let me give you one more, Hebrews chapter 3. Turn over to the next book, Hebrews chapter 3 verse 1. Writer of Hebrews says therefore holy brothers and sisters so therefore all Christians who share in what who share in the heavenly calling so you have a heavenly calling God has called you beyond just this physical world but actually one day to another place to heaven that's what we believe if we're followers of Jesus, that we don't live for this material world. This isn't everything, this isn't all that there is, but one day God will make everything new and we will be there with Him. And so have this heavenly calling, have this heavenly perspective. Live in such a way that your life reflects, that you know what your final destination is and where you're going one day. You see, if you're a follower of Jesus, if you have your faith in Him, then this is the calling on your life. You've been called to be a disciple maker. You've been called to be holy. And you've been called to fix your eyes on heaven and to live in light of that. And so my question is, how will your calling inform your relationships this year? Because this is for everyone if you're a Christian. You don't need to wait for that mystical calling from heaven, that specific word or job or place to live, God has told you already what He has called you to, where He has called you to. And so how will that inform your relationships this year? You know, if you've been called by Jesus to be a disciple maker, how's that going to impact who you spend time with this year? You know, are you going to stay in your holy huddle in your little Christian bubble? Or are you going to get out there and spend time with people and serve and bless and love those who don't know Jesus? Because that's what Jesus did. You know, we read earlier in Mark chapter 2, he spent time with people regarded as sinners, so much so that he was accused and judged by the religious teachers. Jesus let his calling, the fact that he knew his calling to sinners, dictate how he spent his time. Or what about the fact that you've been called to be holy? And so how is that going to inform the people that you surround yourself with this year? How's that going to inform the people that you choose to pursue romantically or that you allow to pursue you romantically? How's that going to inform the way that you do your dating relationships or your marriage? What about the fact that you've been called towards heaven to have a heavenly perspective? How's that going to inform the people that you allow to speak into your life? The people that you confide in, the people who you let influence you? How's that going to inform the type of Christian relationships you have in the church? Are your closest friends building you up towards that calling? Are they reminding you of that? Are they making you more godly? If not, why not? What's missing? Is there something that could change in that relationship, in that friendship? Or are there other people that you maybe could pursue to help encourage you in that as well? So that's the first lesson. We need to let our calling inform our relationships. And the second lesson is this. We need to conduct our relationships from a place of deep security. We need to conduct our relationships from a place of deep security. You see, so much of our issues, so much of our problems with relationships come out of our own insecurities. You know, we overcompensate in relationships. We people please. We can't say no because we're insecure, because deep down we need the approval of other people. Or maybe we initiate conflict. You know, we start conflict and fights and arguments in relationships. We can't let things go. We fight back and get defensive and retaliate because it's coming out of our woundedness. It's coming out of our insecurities. Or maybe we look for love and comfort in the wrong places. Maybe we pursue people romantically that we shouldn't. Or we go places physically that we know is not what God wants for us because we're seeking security and comfort and safety and love. So much of our issues with relationships come out of our insecurities, and so we need to pursue living out our relationships from a place of deep security. So how did Jesus do that? What was Jesus's source of security? Well, have a look with me. Turn back to the Gospel of Mark, chapter one, and we're just gonna look at a few verses from there. And so Mark, chapter one, starting in verse nine. And Mark writes, at that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven saying, you are my son whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. And so here Jesus is just starting out in the Gospel of Mark. He comes to get baptized. And as he comes up out of the water, we see God on display. The Son of God just baptized. The Spirit of God descending on him like a dove. And God the Father in a resounding voice putting his seal of approval, his stamp of affirmation on Jesus saying, You are my Son, whom I love with you, I am well pleased. See, this is where Jesus's security came from. It came from his relationship with the father. It came from his deep sense of identity that he was loved, that he was approved of and affirmed of that God was pleased and proud of him. You know, Jesus was the most secure person who has ever lived. Seriously. Jesus wasn't a people pleaser. Uh, he was selfless, but he he could actually say no as well. He had boundaries. Like, did you know that? Jesus actually said no. Like, there's accounts in the gospel where Jesus' own disciples, even his own brothers, his own family, come to him and they ask him for things, or they ask him to go places or to do things. And Jesus actually says no. He, he has boundaries. Jesus He had healthy relationships. He was a good friend. He had good friends. He didn't get into conflict unnecessarily or get defensive or aggravate the situation or snap back. Jesus was secure. The most secure person who ever lived. And he lived that life and he had those relationships because he operated from a place of deep Security. Now you might say, "Well, that's great, James. You know Jesus had a deep sense of identity from God. He was approved of. He was loved. Of course, that, that gave him a sense of security. But but I don't have that. Like I'm not Jesus. And of course, Jesus got that approval from God because Jesus did amazing things. I mean, he's Jesus. He was perfect. He was moral. He did miracles. He healed people. He taught truth." He was really good and loving and nice to people that no one else was. But I don't do any of those things. I I, I don't deserve. I'm not worthy of God's approval. But let me point something out to you here. This account of Jesus' baptism takes place only nine verses into the Gospel of Mark. See, Jesus hadn't actually done anything yet. He hadn't even started his ministry. No healings, no preaching, no deliverance. No parables, no loving on people who were unlovable. At this point in time, Jesus had just been born, grown up, lived his life. He was a carpenter. He hadn't done any of those amazing things. See, God's approval of him, God's affirmation came not on the basis of what Jesus had done, but on the basis of his relationship, the fact that he is God's son and God is his father. And so God loves him and is pleased with him. Or you might say, okay, all right, all right, like, that makes sense. I mean, it's on the basis of his relationship with the Father. That's why he had this approval and this identity and this security. But you're missing something obvious. You're missing the fact that Jesus was God's actual son. Like Jesus is God's actual one and only true son. I'm I'm not that. And so God surely doesn't look at me like how he looks at Jesus. God surely doesn't love and delight in me the way he does in Jesus. To that, I want to take us to Galatians chapter 3. And I want to answer that objection this morning. Galatians chapter 3, verses 26 and 27 say this. This is Paul speaking. So in Christ Jesus... You are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. Let me read that one more time. So in Christ Jesus, you are all, what? Children of God through faith. See, this is the beauty of the gospel. That if you are in Christ Jesus, which is another way of saying If you have faith in Jesus, if you are trusting in him as your Lord and Savior, then you are united with him. You are in him. And if if that is you, then you are a child of God. How? Through your good works, through your morality, through your church attendance, through the sins that you haven't done, your performance? No, through faith. And this is what we call the doctrine of adoption. That because of what Jesus has done for us, because he died for us in our place and rose to new life, if we trust in his sacrifice and his resurrection from the dead, then God has adopted us as his sons and daughters. And when God looks at us, he doesn't think, "Ah, bit of a battler, just getting by. Oh, you had a good week, but make sure you don't slip up on that thing that you keep doing. You're okay, I guess. No, God looks at us and he sees the perfection of Jesus. He sees the righteousness of Jesus. And he looks at you and he says, You are my son. You are my daughter, whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. And I wonder, do you know that this morning? Do you know that? Or maybe you do know that, but do, do you believe that? Do you, do you live your life in such a way that that truth forms and shapes everything that you do? Because this is the antidote to our problem of insecurity. This is the solution. This is the answer to our insecurities. This is where we find our identity and sense of deep security in our assurance that God loves us and is pleased with us because we are His children. You know, so many of us this morning who are watching this, we operate from a place of insecurity in our relationships. And if we could just take a moment to be really honest, it's because we're just carrying stuff. We're carrying baggage. We're carrying trauma, we're carrying wounds, whether it's from things that we have done, things that have been done to us, experiences we've had, maybe our family of origin. We're carrying things. And in order to really find our security and identity, we need to let go of those. And the only way we can do that is by finding our security and our identity as children of God. Now, I know that's easier said than done. Like you're not watching this right now and you're like, wow, James, thanks for saying that. Now I'm so secure. All my insecurities are dealt with. I'm totally fine now. I'm I'm not naive to think that by just pointing it out, somehow that's just gonna heal all of the wounds and all of the baggage that we carry. But I do believe that we can grow in this area. I do believe that there's things that we can do to grow in our identity, to grow in our security, which will then flow out into our relationships. And so what can we do? Well, I want to give you a few things this morning as we come to a close. And the first thing is this. To grow in our identity, we need to embrace the gifts of spiritual formation and the spiritual disciplines that God has given us. You see, Bible reading and prayer and community are not just things that we do to tick off the list and say, oh, we've been a good Christian this week. We do them because we believe that there is power in them and they actually change us. You know, the Bible, God's word is described as food for our souls, as sustenance and as truth. And if you are not feeding yourself with this, then what are you feeding yourself with? And if you're not abiding and dwelling in the word, if you're not letting this word speak about your identity to you and tell you who you are, then you are letting other people and just the world, culture, Instagram, Netflix, songs, what people think of you, you you're letting those things dictate and determine your identity. And that is not who you truly are. Bible reading is so important to get the truth into our minds and then into our hearts. What about community? What's the point of community? Is it just to rock up, enjoy each other's, you know, socially, have a good meal, have some laughs? No, the point of community is to come to one another after, you know, a week or however long it's been and say, remind me who I really am. Tell me who I really am because these are the things that I've come in carrying. These are the lies that I believe. This is the unbelief that's in my heart. This is the shame and the guilt and the condemnation that's weighing on me. Tell me who I am. Remind me of my true identity. And so embracing the gifts that God's given us in spiritual formation and the spiritual disciplines being honest with ourselves, creating space to actually engage with our negative emotions so that we can process our insecurities and not suppress them and then operate out of them. Taking time to sit in silence, to reflect, creating space to journal, and actually be aware of what's happening in our inner life. And lastly, seeking some deeper form of emotional healing. Now, what do I mean by that? What do I mean by that? Well, there's so many of us who, there's just these deep things that we're carrying inside of ourselves, lies, unbelief, self-condemnation, self-judgment, trauma, you know, all the things I was kind of talking about before, things from our family of origin, things from incidents that have happened. And in order to actually be free of them, we have to face them. We have to be willing to dredge them up from the depths of of our souls and face them and address them and go through that painful process in order to replace lies with truth. And there's a variety of ways you can do that. For some of us, maybe that looks like going to see a Christian psychologist or a Christian counselor and actually talking about our issues for once, being real and honest about that. Or maybe for other, others of us, it looks like going to a trusted Christian brother or sister who you know is going to speak truth to you and who you know you can be open with and actually just bearing your soul. Maybe confessing some things that you need to get off your chest that have been causing you to live in relationship from a place of dysfunction. Maybe it looks like going to a trusted brother or sister or your GC leader or one of the pastors and doing that. You know, in James chapter 5, James says, Confess your sins to one another so that you might be healed. There's actually real healing available when when we confess to each other. And this is something that's supposed to be normative in the Christian life, but for whatever reason, we've just chosen to avoid it. Like, Like we don't do confession at all. Barely. And you know, the sad thing about that is when we don't do it, then we're shutting down the possibility of receiving the healing that that promises to provide. So maybe it looks like going to see a mental health professional. Maybe it looks like confiding and getting prayer and confessing uh, with a brother or sister or a pastor or a leader. Maybe it looks like signing up for a course like Gospel Care or How People Change, these two amazing discipleship courses that get to the root of who we are and the things that we carry which are taught by Hope Miles. Maybe it looks like talking to Matt and Robin Newfeld and asking them for tips on relationships or signing up for their course on relational wellness. Maybe you need to take that deeper plunge to address those deeper things. You know, I have a friend who recently has gone through a journey of healing. And it's kind of been over the last year. And it's been particularly you know, acute and involved over the last six to nine months. And there was just stuff in her life that, that she needed to deal with. You know, things from traumatic experiences, things that had been said or done to her, um, things that she was carrying, wounds that she was carrying, things that she was holding on to. And she's just recently gone through this just amazing journey of actually just confronting those things, like, like, like pulling them up and looking them in the eye and saying, I'm not going to let you control me anymore. I'm not going to let you dictate the direction of my life or the dynamic of my life. I'm going to gonna deal with you. I'm going to address this. And I was just so encouraged, you know, by her journey. And, you know, she said to me, she said, that process was the most painful, one of the most painful processes of her whole entire Life, And I had one question for her. I said, well, then why did you do it? And she said, because I couldn't keep on living this way. And, you know, it is worth it. It can be painful to face those things inside of us, but it is worth it. It is worth it to find healing. And you know what's not worth it? What's not worth it is walking the rest of our lives with a limp, carrying, holding on to these things. Just because you're carrying it doesn't mean that it's not heavy and that's it's not impacting your life in unhelpful and unhealthy ways. But it is worth it to seek that healing. It is worth it to experience the freedom that comes afterwards. The joy, the lightness of having those burdens taken off your shoulders no longer carrying or holding on to those things. It's worth it. So 2021, we want to win at relationships, don't we? Yes, we want to have healthy, growing, life-giving, wise relationships. And how do we do that? Well, it's going to be a process. But I fully believe that if we can take these two principles and embrace them and seek to seek to grow in them in our lives, if we we can seek to let our calling inform our relationships and if we can seek to conduct our relationships from a place of deep security and grow in our identity in order to do that, I truly believe that we will be setting ourselves up for success, to have prosperous, fruitful, healthy, life-giving, joyous relationships this year and beyond. Pray with me. Father God, I thank you that you are a relational God. And I thank you that you have given us the gift of relationships in all their different contexts. And your desire is that we would flourish in our relationships. that They would be healthy, that they would be life-giving, that they would be honoring to you, God. And so I pray that you would help us this year to be the kind of people who would have a clear sense of our purpose, who would know what you've called us to, And that that calling would influence and inform the decisions we make in our relationships. And I pray, Father, that we would be the kind of people who are courageous and brave and willing to look at our insecurities and face them and address them and seek healing in order order that our relationships would flow from a deep place of security. Lord, we need your help. Show, Show us where we need to grow. Make those resources available to us. Point us in the right direction. Give us initiative, Lord. Give us hunger. We pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.